Welcome to Work Everywhere, a podcast brought to you by Allware, the company that equips teams with everything they need to work from anywhere. I'm your host, Ben Kessler, Chief Growth Officer, and my co-host today is Veronica Kellerman, Content Marketing Lead. In this episode, we're joined by Tyann Osborne, a former HR leader and current executive coach, trainer, and speaker. Over the last 25 years, she has worked in the US, India, and South Africa at companies like Pepsi, Dell, and the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. Presently, Tyann specializes in Gallup Certified Strengths training and works with executives and teams all around the world to discover their strengths to win at work and life. She is particularly passionate about leadership development and diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. In today's conversation, we chat about the value of following your gut at work, how to differentiate yourself in a highly competitive job market, how to communicate effectively in a remote world, the importance of asking your team, how are you, and how to upscale employee experience in the post-pandemic era. Hey, Tyann, we are so excited to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to be on the pod with us today. <laughs> hey, Ben. I'm super excited to be with you and Veronica. Looking forward to it. That's amazing. So let's start pretty basic. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your career journey and what led you to what you're working on today. Well, I graduated from Baylor with a degree in economics and had no idea what to do with that, as you would. And so got into one of the big consulting firms at the time. A lot of people would go into that and then quickly discovered that programming was not for me. But what I did like was meeting different clients, working on different projects and learning some really good skills. So leveraged that and eventually ended up at a spinoff division of Pepsi. Learned a whole lot there. Pepsi is a really good training ground. And then in the late 90s, came down to work for Dell. Live in Austin. Can't live in Austin for any time without taking a tour through Dell, as I called it. And that was such a great experience. And, you know, I have my MBA, but really working at Dell at the time, I was like, I'm learning more at Dell than I did in an MBA program. But really, that was my first real deep dive into the world of HR specifically and had some great experiences as project manager, got to live and work all over the world, which we might talk about. And really then got into what was then called the HR generalist position. Now it's HR business partner. And that was my hands down favorite role in HR that I had for so many reasons, but I loved that. So stayed at Big Dell for eight years. I had gone to India, I had been in China, came back from China and was invited to go over to the Michael and Susan Dell Private Family Foundation, supporting them and their efforts to really promote a lot of things, but specifically education around the world. Got to lead global HR for them for five years. Uh, we had an office in India. We launched Cape Town, South Africa. And after that, I knew I wanted to hang out my own shingle. So 11 years ago, I did. And here I am talking with y'all now. Would it be fair to say that going through Dell, working at the Dell Foundation, I know there's so much focus on supporting an investment in education around the world. Are you personally like invested in that? Do you like to, you know, working in HR, it sounds like you like to help people. Tell me a little bit about that of kind of your personal mission around supporting people. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Ben, when I interview candidates and you ask what are their strengths and they say, well, I'm a people person, like that's the most trite thing you can hear, right? So I would never say that. But I would say in my journey, what I have learned in terms of what brings me energy is to help other people find their place. And 
when I'm working with someone and I really find like they find exactly where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to contribute, what the world needs. And I see that light go on in their eyes. That's what lights me up. I'm like that right there. That's what I want to do. And so we'll get into this, but the HR function itself has a lot of stuff underneath that umbrella, some of which is a little less focused on helping people find the light in their eyes and the energy and joy. So I find that having a company focused on that, that brings me so much personal satisfaction and joy, knowing that that's the energy I can put out into the world. I like it in the context of energy. And I like to think about that too, is constantly the energy that you're giving and taking and receiving. That's a great way to contextualize it, I think. Yeah, it works inside and outside of work too, right? So it's not just how you show up on your Zooms, but it's also how do you show up at the grocery store? When you're pumping gas and you see other people, do they have a super frowny look on their face or are they intriguing? Do you think they're accretive to the world? So it's across your whole life. I'd love to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit more about your experience working with Gallup Strength. So for me personally, I've spent a lot of my career at early-ish startups. So I haven't had a lot of that career training that I might get or might have gotten at like a larger, more corporate, more enterprise-sized company. So I'd love to just kind of hear what are they and how might they be helpful for HR tech professionals working at something like a startup or a mid-sized company where you typically wouldn't be using those types of tools? That's a great question, Veronica. And you're so spot on in that sometimes when we're in these larger enterprise type environments, you're getting training that you really don't even realize the value of it until you leave and you go to a startup and you're like, oh, I'm getting no training other than just hands-on fighting fires all day, right? So coming out of a big environment, it's not unusual for people to have gone through something like Myers-Briggs or DISC or Insight or any number of other assessments. And I'll tell you kind of my personal experience was I was working in high tech and especially around the time that the dot-com bubble burst. And then we had the unfortunate, we had to go from hiring a jillion people a week to unfortunately letting people go. And, you know, there's a, a lot more there we could talk about. But when I was reading, and I'm just a prolific reader, all the books and my background are actually real. But I read all the time. <laughs> I came across the book, Now Discover Your Strengths. And I don't know if it was recommended or it just showed up in one of those book lists. And I read it and I thought, oh, I want to go to there. These are my people because it, it really went from I'm focused on the negative all the time and maybe how your performance was a little subpar or just maybe it through no fault of your own, you were just in the wrong function and letting people go to, oh my gosh, figuring out what's right with people and helping get people in kind of the right seat on the right bus. And what a difference that makes in terms of personal and professional engagement. There's tons of research out there. I mean, engagement is such a huge buzzword on the lift that organizations get if your employees are engaged. You know, they're six times as likely to be happy with their jobs. There's increases in productivity, decreases in quality issues, increases in customer satisfaction and all that. And from a personal perspective, people are three times as likely to be happy with their quality of life. That's amazing to me that that's the kind of lift you can get from having a strengths-based focus. And I'm just going to put that in the biggest sense of the term, not necessarily a particular assessment. But when I came across the Gallup work there, again, I want, I was like, give me more. I want to <laughs> really dig into this. And so then I found they had this assessment. 
And again, I never met an assessment I didn't want to take, including BuzzFeed personality polls, you know, like which <laughs> dog are you, which which cake are you, which Harry Potter house are you in? Ravenclaw, just in, in case anybody out there. <laughs> I was sorted by the sorting hat, so it's totally official. But when I came across strengths, that was the one that I thought, oh, this is so cool. This is helping me understand not what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. What's my motivation for doing this? And so it's just so fascinating. But back to your question. So sometimes it is a little easier to get that in an enterprise environment. And you might not even fully appreciate it because that's just so part of the culture. But when you're in a startup or you're small or you're an HR team of one or whatever it is, I really encourage you to... Again, it doesn't have to be assessment. Just stop and do some work, have some introspection time where you're thinking, what do I like? What are all the things I like? And you can start with just life. You can look at work and you can kind of reflect, why do I like those things? What is it about that? And you can get a little more granular. And then you can also just flip the page over and write, what are all the things I don't like? And again, no one else has to see this. It can be you. So like be super honest about, frankly, if there was a part of my job that didn't exist, what would it be? Or if somebody new got hired and I could pass this on to them, what would it be? Just what are the things that make you feel, ugh, we all know what those things are, you know? And then you can start looking at what's in common about the things that light me up and what's in common about the things that drag me down. And so just personally, I love being with people. When the pandemic happened and we were all on lockdown and I couldn't actually be with people in person, ugh, just like the energy totally drained out of me. So being able to see you virtually, that helps. But if we could be in person, that would be my favorite. So even when all the coffee shops were closed and you couldn't go to there, it just, that was the worst. Like when these were my four walls all the time. So for me, I need to be with people. I want that because that gives me energy. Doing super detailed work, not my jam. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't have to do that for my job or that I'm incapable of doing it. In fact, I'm, I'm really proficient at it, but I don't love it. But there are people out there who do love that, like project management. Ooh, that just lights them up. If they had a Gantt chart, that just, <laughs> their little wheels get going. They love that. And I'm like, please take that off my plate. I will talk to anybody about anything, but I don't want to do that. And so that's the kind of introspection that I would love for HR people to be able to do and also for candidates to be able to do when they're coming in and talking. If you have a few more resources, you can go to Gallup and take the strengths assessment on your own. You don't have to wait to do that through a company. But if your company wants to support it, that's all the better. So a lot of words to answer your question. To expand on that a little bit, and you kind of answered this, but... I assume, you know, do you find yourself working with people in HR that are in the same shoes that you were once in, have the same role Ugh. and having worked the strengths and everything you know now, what would you tell them, you know, you wish you had known then given your new expertise and, and what would you share with someone in that role? Because a lot of our listeners are in the HR profession from managers all, all the way up to chief people officers. But what would you share from your experience? Been so many things. So like much. We, could we could do a whole episode <laughs> right. just on that, right? We, we should. <laughs> we could have a whole, a whole book on that. Yeah. So I think first I would tell my like 25-year-old self, if you know something, if you feel something, it doesn't mean you're wrong just because you're young or just because you're new to the role. Like if there's something inside you that's saying, this isn't right, this isn't how we should treat people. I think you should listen to that little voice. And this is where, like, for me, coming out of a big corporate environment, 
I got so much, but I also had some whispers of things that I'm like, I don't know if this is right. And when I'm working with people, anecdotally, I know this isn't right for them. And I would bring those things up and I would get told, well, that's not how life works. It doesn't matter. And just sort of get shut down a little bit. And today, Ty would say, no, mm -mm, I'm not going to get shut down. Let's have a conversation. And 25-year-old Ty was like, okay. And I would shut my mouth and go back to my job. So couple things like that. I would also say, beware of being successful. This is where um, sometimes the penalty for good work is bad work or no good deed goes unpunished. And so what I mean by that, especially early in my career, I was asked to do some things and it didn't mean that was wrong. It just meant, you know, that was a project. And because I was so good at that project, I got more of that project and I didn't have the language or even the confidence to be able to say, hey, these are some of my gifts. I would like to volunteer these. If a project comes up that uses these instead, can we consider me for that? So I just kind of sat there and was like, okay, not really that thrilled with Excel, but yeah, I can be an Excel monkey. Um, that's fine. I can do some macros. And then getting more and more and more of that work because people see that you're good at it. So a little bit of a victim of your own success sometimes, I would say we have to use our words to tell people what you would like more of. Don't complain about your job too. If you want less of something, just say, <laughs> you know, if someone else would like the opportunity to learn this, I've, I've kind of mastered the spreadsheet. I would love to offer that as an opportunity for someone. And I would like to explore whatever it is. Yeah. A good anecdote there is uh, not to call out <laughs> my wife too much, but she works in, in retail fashion merchandising and was the one that was always really good at the merchandising math and at Excel. And she became Ugh. that person. Right. Right. But what, what she really did, the pivot that she made was she said, I'm going to create a training course. So I'm going to actually reach out to my HR business nice. partner. And she went and created, and this is like all to her credit. It's amazing. She created a course to teach her peers and teach, you know, people across the team. And that's where she spent her energy was she taught this course, you know, once, once a month or once a quarter and slowly backed away from being hands-on <laughs> in the Excel spreadsheets. You all the time. can do merchandising math, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you do have to figure out sometimes off ramps for yourself if there is something that you're kind of getting known for. And the more you do something, the more you're going to get known for that, especially if you're quite proficient at it. And nobody's psychic. How would they know you don't love merchandising math unless you transition that, right? Yeah. And I think through the lens of like betterment of the team, too, is such a great way to do it. Yeah. A mildly selfish thing, but it's not a selfish <laughs> thing. It's a for the betterment of the team, because you're going to be better if the people around you are better as well. I know Veronica's got something to pipe in on that. But I was just going to say, too, if you're a small HR team or like team of one, but I was for years, you really have to think, I don't have 24 hours in a day to do all the things. And there's probably more, you know, I don't have 40 hours in a day to do all the things. So you really have to figure out what's the highest and best use of your time and where would a partner be helpful? Because first, just you can't do it all yourself. Even in larger teams, usually HR is so strapped for resources or you're like the last one to get a head count. So you have to be smart where you spend your time and smart where you outsource, where you bring in vendors, where you bring in maybe a contractor or a temp or a college student as an intern or something so that you're not doing merchandising math on top of everything else. And then you have basically nothing left to give from a strategic contribution point of view. Absolutely. So kind of going back to what you were saying about how large of an adjustment the pandemic was kind of for your working life. Something I've been kind of thinking about is whether you've seen any common threads when it comes to conflict in the remote or hybrid workplace. 
Because I know for people who are working at startups and have been doing that for a lot of their career, maybe the pandemic didn't feel like this huge disruption because maybe you were already remote and had been for quite some time. But I think about people who work at really big corporations or enterprise companies where you have seems like hundreds of stakeholders on every project that you're working on. Your team is really, really huge. And I think that that probably would have raised a lot more conflict than if you're working on a super small team and it's just a lot easier to kind of work asynchronously. So what are those common threads that you've seen and how do you think they can be prevented? (laughs) Veronica, that's such a good question and such a a broad question. And I think if the three of us had it all solved, we could write a book and make a (laughs) kajillion dollars. So maybe that'll be our future thing. I always like to say, though, you put two people together on something and you're going to get three opinions. So for me, if it's small or if it's large, Maybe just instead of having an in-person disagreement, you have it remotely. But what I saw happen was, I think first, people not realizing that working virtually is a different way of working than we had been before. There's a different nuance. It's just like the difference between I'm talking with you right now and I send you a text. You can't see any emotion in that. Even if I put all the GIFs and emoticons in the world, now (laughs) there's like, are you saying that ironically? Like if you have the skull in there, is that ironic or really, you know, what is it? Apparently now, depending on your age, like a smiley face can be super um, harsh or it can mean a smiley face. So anyway, (laughs) just kind of realizing that communication is different. And I also think, A, we weren't that good at communication before. I mean, I would say a lot of it probably got, we were able to deal with it or, or maybe not just kick the can down the road because eventually we would see each other and kind of sort it out. But then when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, everything was virtual. Our technology tools hadn't quite caught up. I mean, we've done leaps and bounds on some of that. But what I see now, my husband and I just had this conversation yesterday. He and I went out to take a walk during the middle of the day. And we were saying, could you have ever done this before at a company? And the answer is no, or not really. It wouldn't have been supported. But now we can. And I was saying, do you think anyone expects you to be at your desk right now? And do you think the people you work with are actually at their desk right now? (laughs) So you got into this whole, like, are people recreating their eight to five or nine to five, whatever, environment at home? And I'm like, okay, for reals, no. Even if all the companies want to think that you are, you're not. You're not sitting there for eight hours or God, I hope not. That would be horrific. And we're doing things in this asynchronous way. I also think companies didn't quite realize that at first. They really did think everyone was going to be working the same hours and the same steps and then quickly found that's not the case. And then the companies that you see in the news are the ones that have a lot of angst about that. And I'm like, why? Why clamp down on that? Why don't we actually go with what's working or what's more natural for people? I mean, I I do some coaching. I'll take a coaching call or frankly, a, a Zoom, whatever. I'll take that in a parking lot. If I have to, I had one, this was, you know, early on, someone said, is that a mattress firm behind you? Like, where are you? (laughs) Yeah, I'm in a parking lot. That is a mattress firm behind me. I'm going to pop in and get a mattress. And I'm like, (laughs) I was on the highway. I pulled over to talk to y'all. And I think they just thought that was so mind blowing. And for me, I'm like, why wouldn't I do that? So anyway, I definitely think we weren't that great at communication before. We were especially not great with it after recognizing styles of communication Again, for someone like me, I want to be with you. For other people, they were like, this is the best thing ever. I don't have to ever see you again in person. But what does that mean? How do we stay on the same page? In fact, you go back to even expectations. A lot of expectations are implicit or they're not actually said. And then when things start getting sideways, 
I'm like, well, I knew what I meant. And you're thinking, well, I knew what I meant. And those things don't map up. Sometimes there's no Venn in that diagram. So we have to be really clear. And this is also where you can tie strengths into it, that I know how I communicate. I know how I best receive information, how I like to give information, and in what format. Now, if I don't know anything about y'all, I'm just like, great, there's Ben and Veronica. I know what I like. If I don't know what you like, or frankly, don't care, I don't (laughs) want to build a relationship with you. I don't care. I'm going to communicate to you in the way that works for me. Now, here's what I know. What works for me is a thousand percent not going to be the same for y'all because you're individual. You like your own things. But if I can't articulate what I'm like and you can't articulate what you're like, we're certainly never going to be on the same page. So this is where we get into some people. I can't tell you how many teams I've worked with where someone will say, don't text me. And the other person's like, well, why wouldn't I text you? That's a much more efficient way of communicating. They're like, it's my personal phone. Never call me on this phone. Whereas I'm thinking, if you want me to respond, text me because email for me is when it's convenient for me. Other people think, oh, well, if I sent you an email, how come I didn't get a response? It's been 15 seconds. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm mostly out with my clients. I'm usually not in front of my computer. In fact, if you catch me in front of my computer, that's an anomaly, right? So text, email, what does that mean? I had a whole team at a very well-known company that had a complete meltdown, brought me in for a multi-day kind of intervention because they were fighting over email. What does it mean to be in the CC line versus the two line on email? Oh my goodness. And I'm thinking... Right. That's what I'm thinking. Like, this is so dumb. But then I thought, this is real life. These are the kinds of things that people get sideways on. And then you're mad. And once you're mad, usually our defenses go up, our amygdala, you know, is triggered and all these things. And it's a lot harder for us to have a solutions-oriented conversation than it is just for me to say, I can't believe Ben. He's such a jerk. He totally misuses email all the time. And he replies to all. Not that Ben would do any of those things. Those would drive him nuts. (laughs) So you can see how, again, I think the pandemic really magnified some of these communication issues and then magnified our need to be explicit about expectations. And here's my other favorite thing, and I'll stop talking after this, that whenever we've got something or we've got multiple opinions on it, I like to ask, is this a business necessity or is this a personal preference? So if I have a retail business and I don't have any workers in the store and a customer walks in, would it be a business necessity to have somebody in the store? And the answer is yes. Like that would be a really difficult role to have work from home. <laughs> you know, I guess unless you had a robot with a face or something, that, <laughs> that would just be weird. But is it a personal preference what they wear? Maybe. Is it a personal preference if they have tattoos? Is it a personal preference that they respond to my emails in 15 seconds? So, And a lot of times people get real hung up on, they're like, absolutely, it's a business necessity. I'm like, is it though? Or is it just you? That's when you can really kind of call people out and make them think. So there's no one size fits all, but it is, I think, addressing those things, especially before they become a giant problem where you call me in for two days of somebody's misusing the CC line in the email. (laughs) (laughs) I am happy to do that and charge a lot of money for that, Veronica, but that is not necessary. (laughs) Yeah, they've tried to fix such a basic error, but it's a constant thing. And it always happens with like the most inopportune conversations, right? Or topics. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, on IM, do I expect you to have your, your IM, your Slack open all the time? 
I mean, there's a reason why people are selling those like mouse jiggler things now. So it looks like you're working, but you're not. I'm like, okay, maybe we should just have a conversation rather than employees trying to game the system and and all this. It just seems like a lot of extra effort for not any return. Yeah. On the flip side of that, you know, we talked on a previous episode about better enabling like async communications to help help people across different kind of work styles or communication styles. And I do appreciate that. I can set my hours on Slack now and I can schedule. I frequently use the scheduling features of email and Slack because I want to be mindful of when I'm communicating with people and when I'm reaching out to them. Right. And so that same thing, Ben, that if we hadn't had a conversation about that, I wouldn't know. Maybe you sent me an email at 3 a.m. Maybe I'm in a completely different time zone. Do Am I expected to answer? And especially if there's a position power difference, right? You're my boss. Even if you said, no, don't worry about it, Ty, I'm like, really not worry about it? Or am I supposed to worry about it? Like there's all these mind games that can happen because we just haven't had an explicit conversation. And the whole boy, the whole point of asynchronously working is because it's great. You can do what you need to do when you need to do it. And there's no expectation that I'm working the same time as you. And we were like, really? that it's okay. Right. Seeing people for that too, like making people feel seen that they're in a different location. I mean, something as basic as addressing someone with a good morning or a good afternoon, and it's not that time for them. You know what I mean? It's something you have to Gosh, think about. Gosh, man, treating, treating people as people <laughs> and not, not forgetting. <laughs> I know, right? It's just totally wild. We had this thing at Veronica and, and my uh, last company that I had never heard before, but people would say good lag, good lag for every meeting, lag and i said lag and they said look location appropriate greeting <laughs> i love that okay i'm gonna totally appropriate that i love that i can't say if i loved it or not but it was thoughtful in a way <laughs> my team in south africa instead of going to like a happy hour or something like that they would have sundowners oh, wow, so they would like, like would anyone like to go to a sundowner i'm like a thousand percent i, I love, would i love that actually yeah isn't that fun that's so great. i think that's just seeing people where they are and I think, too, there's this feeling like if we are virtual, we just have to jump right into work or the project plan or, you know, your to-do list update. We kind of forget that, hey, what's going on with you? You know, is that your cat or your kid in the background? Is that, you know, what's happening, Veronica? You were going to do that 5K run. How did it go? And giving that stuff space because... Here's what I know. And this is interesting. I've actually got some data on this from the strengths world is that your employee base tends to have very high relationship needs. But the the higher we go position power wise, the lower those relationship needs show up and the more like strategic thinking themes kind of show up. So it's really fascinating. So I'm like, if you're up here and your whole population is here, you're losing people right off the bat. And so instead of just jumping into the Gantt chart, which, oh my God, can we just have a conversation about What's happening? Did anybody see a good movie this weekend? Or roses and thorns, as I call them. Just everybody go around, talk about something good, and somebody having a challenge. And so not losing that personal touch. Or even you've got a one-on-one with an employee. Always start it with, how are you? And like, no, really, how are you? Not just, oh, I'm fine, thanks, how are you? Right. But back to that, like, it's almost that avatar thing. Like, I see you. I feel like we need a whole new subset of like, especially in remote work, 
prompts and questions to ask, you know, because yeah. we're guilty of this all the time, but I'm so tired of talking about the weather and people asking me <laughs> the first thing I get on a call, how's the rain going? You know, <laughs> you know right, like, right. let me tell you about the book I just read or. <laughs> well, yeah, so wouldn't you know, that be it fun? It could still be mundane, but, but the weather, the weather yeah. is getting old, especially when you live in LA <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it, we have our normal weather and it's 75 Oh my God, and, and it's raining right. nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about that, Veronica. Yeah. Although in Austin, where I am, it can either be zero degrees a couple days a year, or it can be 10,000. 10, like yeah, we 10, can talk about, we can talk about that. <laughs> right. So um, right now we're in that sweet spot where it hasn't quite gotten there yet. But yeah, I mean, how fun would that be? Or even if there was a program in your Slack stuff that came up with those prompts automatically when you started a meeting. Yeah, which does exist. Not when you start a meeting, but there are people are building apps like this that I, I really enjoy. Um, I, I, you know, not to, the donut one, the, the donut app. Yeah, which yeah. is I don't recall why it was called donuts, but we had the Slack app installed that essentially prompts you with some questions and then randomly books you with another employee to meet for oh. 15 minutes a week. And you guys can connect okay. on your answers to those questions, basically. So, so that's cool. It was an interesting effort. But again, you have two sides of the spectrum. You have some people that are like, I don't want to waste 15 minutes of my workday talking about my favorite right. food. <laughs> and you have other people that love it and love meeting everyone at the company and finding new ways that they can work and connect with others. But that's just it, Ben. So wouldn't it be interesting to ask people, right. do you hey, how do this? you like, yeah, how do you, do you want to participate? How do you like to stay connected? What would you like for me to check in with you on? Do you have any particular hobbies that you do? It's like, oh, you blow glass. That's so cool. Like, so next time I'll ask you about glass blowing rather than, oh, it's sunny again in LA. Go figure. <laughs> um, but that means that's you a have, cool hobby, by right? the way. Glass blowing. <laughs> yeah, no, and one of my friends does that. I'm like, tell me more. That's so cool. That's so and, cool. and my other corollary to that is this is something I saw too in virtual. You know, we went from having no virtual meetings ever. Or maybe you had the occasional Skype, but I could have count on one hand the number of virtual calls that I had had before the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, everything became virtual. And also because Outlook is Outlook, you know, it defaults to an hour or, and you can set that not to, but if you just go with the default, it's an hour. Since when did all meetings have to be an hour? Since when did all <laughs> meetings have to be a meeting? Since when did everything have to be a virtual as opposed to just, can we just chat on the phone for two seconds? Do I have to have a Zoom? Because then I'm going to have to pull over and be in the mattress firm parking lot. <laughs> right. And it's like, then we forgot how to have those questions too. So anytime I have a, like a coaching series with a, somebody I'm working with, I always ask. I can't tell you the number of times people have said, I'm so sick of virtuals. Can we just talk on the phone? And I'm like, actually, that works better for me because then I can take notes but if I'm looking at you on the screen, I feel like I can't take notes because it feels like I don't have eye contact and yeah. it feels rude. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of phone calls. I, I also feel like you can just focus on the conversation and don't have to be staring at your own face or right. the other person's face or worrying about what you look it's like. very distracting. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's extremely distracting. As much as I, I mean, I'm on Zoom calls all the time, but or, or, or don't get me started <laughs> on the people that I've heard about going into offices and then having Zoom calls from the oh, office. Oh, no. That totally defeats the point. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, 
one of my large high-tech clients that you would definitely know the name of, they started booking um, meetings for 55 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they were going to give give themselves like a five-minute passing period, you know, to go from one call to the next. And I thought, okay, well, I would have shrunk it from 55 to maybe something smaller. But anyway, and then because they're so enterprising, people started booking in that five-minute slot. Oh, my God. I was like, that is diabolical. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy, right? That's the time you're supposed to like go to the bathroom or get a drink. Right. I don't know what the terminology is for that, but someone hijacking your time Yes, where you have to literally block your entire calendar because you're scared about that 20 minute window that you give yourself to eat lunch. <laughs> and someone's going to book someone it. Someone goes and books it. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And you're like, no, for real, I have an Amazon package. I've got to return to the UPS <laughs> store. Like, I have to get out the house and do that. Right. And, you know, it's weird, some of these little behaviors that show up. But I'm a big proponent of no one's going to set boundaries for you. Mm-hmm. And this is personal or professional. You have to set your own boundaries. Like, right. you're not going to call me, Ben, and say, hey, Ty, why don't you take off today at three? Because you have to go do all these errands. Right. Said no one ever. No one's ever going to say <laughs> that, right? So you have to control your life. And that can feel very not okay, especially when you're younger, just starting out or you're a team of one. You're like, I can't do that. I'm I have to be on all the time. But you can't you you can't be on all the time. Well, to shift gears a little bit, but I think kind of in the same context of it being something that's happening in the world and a lot of it happening virtually. I do want to talk about layoffs a bit. You mentioned earlier on kind of the first tech bubble and having to go through rounds of layoffs and things like that. It's something that unfortunately is very relevant today. You know, we came out of these very heady times and a very weird time where we're balancing dealing with a global pandemic, but also big returns and valuations and, and the stock market was doing well. And now we've shifted to a place where a lot of HR teams are dealing with layoffs of the company at large, layoffs within their own teams, layoffs of themselves, um, because quite frankly, and sadly, oftentimes that's the first thing to get cut (laughs) is HR and people teams, which is so interesting. But we talk a lot about dealing with this virtually and in person. How do you do this compassionately? You know, we care about this a lot. What tools do you talk about to handle layoffs compassionately? And do you have advice for the HR pros that are dealing with this, that are going through this themselves, that how do you do it well? And then how do you also manage it yourself? Like it's a very trying time, right? And we talk about the, yes, oftentimes talk about the mental health of, of these teams and how these teams feel like they're on an island and they're making sure everyone else is taken care of. But how about them? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh my gosh. So many things. I just want to say like, yes, to everything you said. You know, when I first got into that world of the exits, as opposed to the entrances, first of all, just kind of recognizing that that can be a real like something that messes with your mind because often we are so in acquisition phase with people and we're going through recruiting and we're doing all that. And then all of a sudden, whoever executives comes to you and says, okay, we're going to let 500 people go. And, you know, it can be really, um, frankly, maddening that you're like, I just spent all this time and money bringing these people in. Right. And now we got to let them go. So that it's frustrating from a work point of view that suddenly you got to put this on hold and that. And I will say too, as anybody who's done recruiting, the worst thing you can do is to let your recruiting pipeline die. Because 
if you're not in the recruiting, you might just think you step up and you post your job and then magically great candidates fall into your lap and you're done. But we know that's not how recruiting works. You have a long pipeline. It can take six months or more, especially the higher level some of our positions go to recruit that talent. So that always frustrated me to no end when you feel like you got to shut your pipeline down. So that's frustrating. Another thing that I learned, I mean, firsthand was when you're let go, when you're the one in the chair being told it's your last day, it sucks. I mean, it's just a terrible day for you, but it's an awful day for the person delivering that message. Even though if you're the one losing your job, we're like, yeah, sucks to be you. That person might have to be telling a hundred other people that they're losing their job. And so all that energy is compounded in you and you often don't have an outlet for it because maybe it's very confidential. You don't have a peer. You can't speak to anybody else about this, but you don't want to telegraph what's coming up or whatever it is. And so I would say, A, recognize that. Like that's a very real thing. And like in my case, I would know the layoffs were coming sometimes six or eight weeks in advance and have to be working with people that I knew the end of the line was coming for them. And man, that's a soul sucker right there. That's the opposite of what I like to do, which is see people light up with their gifts, right? And I had one person, she was actually um, a pretty good friend of mine that I let go. And she stopped being my friend because she said, you betrayed me. You should have told me that that was coming. And I couldn't say anything. Professionally, I couldn't say anything. Right, right. And we never got over that, which I don't blame her, but I also don't blame me. So just one of those things. So if you have somebody that you can talk to, and this is where having a network of peers is so valuable because you might not have that inside your company, but if you have that somewhere else, and this is where either belonging to SHRM or your local HR organization somewhere, a meetup or something that you can express that stuff to, that's helpful. Here's something too, Ben, that really frustrated me at the time. And again, I was much younger We went through the people who were doing the notifying. We went through some legal training, you know, as you do. And the legal team was very risk averse. And they would say things like, don't express any, don't say you're sorry. Don't express anything that would make the company look like it was wavering on the decision. You know, you got to just go in there and no emotion and everything. And I'm like, really? Is that the best way to handle people? I come from a place of when I'm doing that messaging now, I want to treat people with dignity and respect and compassion. And I want it to be that even if you're being let go at work, I handled it the best way I could. And you feel as good as you possibly can, given the negative situation. And so you don't have to say, I'm sorry, my company sucks. This shouldn't have happened. But you can say, I understand this is a really, really tough time. We've got some resources that we put together to make it feel a little bit better. Can I walk you through that now? Are you in a space where you want to hear what's next or do you need to take some time and then we can regroup? Something like that. So I'll tell you what also breaks my heart is when I see these things where it's like, well, we had a thousand people to let go. So we just sent them a mass email. Oh, that just goes to the core of me. You didn't even personalize it to me. You know, you were just like, dear sucks to be you employee, you know, I mean, it's just, or I I've heard some company one time, they sent out two different messages. And if you were invited to this meeting, that was the okay meeting. But if you were invited to this other meeting in this other conference room, that was the uh, meeting. 
And I'm like, oh, there's just got to be a better way than people are like, hey, why are you going there? I'm going over here. So I think as much as we can still try to have that touch point with people. And, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard when there's a thousand people. I know it's hard when we're virtual, but I would much rather have a 15 minute conversation with you, Ben, than get a mass email and never hear from the company again. And immediately like my access is turned off and that's it. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I think balancing the needs from legal and the the protection on the team and, and no matter what, I know it's such an emotional thing and most people will come out of that experience feeling negative, but there is value in sustaining the brand and having people come out of that and not necessarily burning bridges as much as possible. And even I was just reading the other day, you know, that the NLRB is now calling into question the legality of non-disparagement agreements with that are right. signed on yep. severance and things like that. Yeah. So, And that's what we're all used to is that like 40 page document, which is filled with, you know, things you can't do or can't say. Yeah. And it would behoove you. And again, to the lawyers that are thinking about this, I think it would behoove you to have that have employees that, yes, they're going through a tough time, but hopefully they're not coming out of it being even more angry and <laughs> pissed off and things like that. I'll tell you, what's always funny to me is, you know, the attorneys give down, well, here's the guidance, here's the forms, here's everything to say and not say, but they're not the ones sitting in front of people letting right. them go. Right. It occurred to me as somewhere along my HR journey that I'm like, oh, their job is to mitigate risk. So what's the safest way to mitigate all risk? I mean, you just go as conservatively as you can, right? But their job isn't any more important than my job, which is the people in the organization and how do we move our mission and business forward with the resources that we have. And so I have just as much of a voice in saying, I see where you're coming from. That doesn't actually work for me. So how about we work on a solution that's more of a win-win for HR and legal and the people? Because when things turn around in six months, in nine months, in 18 months, whenever it is, I might be going back to those same people saying, hey, you were so great. Would you come back? And if I was a real jerk to you on the way out, what are the odds of that happening? I got to go find completely new talent, even when I have a ready-made talent pool. So I think more progressive companies have recognized this for quite some time and have like rehire programs where I actually don't forget about you. You know, you're my first people I tap into when I have an opening back. Right. I can hear the HR teams listening to this cheering. I, I think the way that you <laughs> described kind of dealing with, and again, this is not a knock to legal teams. And yeah, I've no, worked with great GCs and lawyers. I love those teams. Yeah, I, I respect the work they do. But I also think the way that you kind of described interacting with them and protecting the employees as well, I think that's a great way to think about that relationship and the kind of the push and pull of that relationship. Same with you, Ben. I have a great employment attorney that if things go south, man, he's the one I, I want on my side. But yeah. I think just being a human being up until that point helps me avoid having to go down that path rather than I'm a jerk to you in the exit process. And then you're just going to be mad. You're already mad because you've lost your job. And then you're mad at me. And there's no reason for you not to fight, right? right. It's nothing to you if you lose, right. but it's a bunch to you if you win. Absolutely. So in this huge climate of layoffs that we're unfortunately facing, what advice can you offer for candidates that are currently on the job hunt? And especially how can they differentiate themselves when we're in a market that's stacked with incredibly qualified candidates who are coming from extremely well-known big tech companies that are really hard to get into? 
Right. Yeah. You got a, a golden resume and you're like, I thought this would be a shoe in somewhere and you and everybody else. Right. So I think this goes back for me, Veronica, to really understand what you bring to the party, because a lot of times I see candidates who you're scared. You were let go. Maybe you only have severance for X amount of time, or maybe you didn't get any, especially when with smaller organizations. Right. And so you're scared and then you're out in the market and that desperation is not super attractive. You're kind of in this repel thing. And so as much as you can think, okay, I'm interviewing a company as much as they're interviewing me and never lose your power as a candidate with that. It's not just pick me, pick me, pick me. It's do I want to work with these people? And there's more resources than we've ever had for you to be able to research companies and find out the inside Scooby on what's happening, not the least of which is how do they treat their people who they've had to exit. So keep that in mind and really understand what you bring to the party. And I'll tell you, I tell my hiring manager this, I tell candidates the same thing. Because, you know, you go into an interview and the first question you're going to get asked is, well, tell me about your strengths and tell me about your weaknesses, which I think are the worst questions ever. So if you're a hiring manager listening, stop it, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're a candidate, here's how to answer that and here's how to pivot. Just think political pivot, man, they, they do it really well. So a way I like to think about this is, again, what lights you up? And pay attention to the job description first, because I can always tell you what their problem was with the last person by reading the job description. Must be punctual is the very first thing. Well, I can tell you the previous person didn't show up on time. And I always laugh and make a game of what was wrong with the previous person. So first, read the job description and figure out what their problem is. What is the point of this job? How is it solving a problem for the company? And then figure out, okay, is this a company I want to be with? And number two, is this a problem I want to be the solution for? And if those things are both a yes, but you really have to think about that. What is their problem and do I want to be the solution? Then the third point is, okay, how do I communicate that I am the solution? What do I bring to the table? And so if someone asks me, what are your strengths? I'll go immediately back to when I was reading the job description and when I was talking with so-and-so and so-and-so, here's what I heard is that, am I on track for that and get confirmation? And then, okay, given that, let me talk to you about some of the things that are unique with me and how they apply to this particular problem or apply to your organization's mission or apply, you know, help with whatever. And that's so much more of a robust conversation than just saying, well, Ben, I'm a people person because that's what a whole bunch of other people are going to do. So if you just have that as your framework, that's going to set you apart. And then when you're asked the weakness question, again, if you're a hiring manager, stop it. Don't ask that. (laughs) And every candidate has Googled right before they walk into the interview, how do I answer the weakness question? You're going to get dumb answers. Things like, I care too much sometimes, or I just don't know when to let go, and I'm too much of a perfectionist. All that's garbage. It's stupid. It's a waste of conversation, right? If you can start from a strengths perspective, then either I can ask, okay, Veronica, to keep you on this path that you really light, it lights you up, it brings you energy. What are some of the things that you need support from for other people or you wish other people would handle? Now you're actually telling me the truth because now you might start telling me things and I'm fine. All of us have things that we love and all of us have things that sap the energy from us. I just want to make sure the things that you love map up with the job. And frankly, so should you. (laughs) But I see so many candidates like trying to talk themselves into a job. I know they're going to hate. Why do you want this job? They're like, well, that's the job I had at Yoohoo Corporation that just let me go. Do you want to repeat that? 
No, this is your opportunity to get alignment. If I have a candidate that I can have a conversation with like that, ah, my day's been made. That's awesome. Right. I think what you're saying about being choosy is so important right now because so many people are so anxious about having been laid off that they're just going to take the first offer that they get because they're right. they're nervous and they want to find work again. But in reality, if you take a job that's not suited to your skill set, you're just going to be susceptible to another round of layoffs. And then you'll be in the same situation again a couple months from now. So even though it can be hard, I want people to stop just, you know, taking the first thing that comes along and actually using this as a time to be strategic about what really should be coming next for them. A thousand percent. And believe me, I get like, I got rent to pay. I got, you know, car <laughs> payment. I got all these things. That That is real life, right? So if you need income coming in right away and you don't have any severance or whatever, there's tons of jobs you can go get that are sort of right now jobs. They're temporary. I mean, heck, my gas station is paying $20 an hour for, you know, because they're having such a hard time finding talent. So it is a little bit of a strange market. On one hand, we've got a ton of people out there. And on the other, there's still sectors that are having trouble attracting people. So be honest with yourself about, okay, this is a right now job just to bring some money in, but here's what I'm really looking for in terms of long-term. And I don't want to have Groundhog's Day where I just keep having the same thing happen to me over and over. When I see that or when I coach those people, I'm like, I know they haven't done that work because they're scared. We're getting to the top of the hour here. This has been an amazing conversation. I'd love to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests, which is, we can tell why I know that your expertise and skills, you're booked out, you know, months in advance, you're in high demand. What's your favorite way to work? What works for you these days? I'd love for you to share kind of any tips there or what's been working for you. So Ben, here's a little secret into my calendar and I hope this doesn't blow up anything for me, but I am booked out months in advance, but it's my time is still spent where I want it. So people probably don't know. I don't take meetings on Mondays. I mean, barring some really exceptional thing that happens, I don't take meetings on Mondays. I don't take meetings Friday afternoons. And I don't take meetings typically before 9 a.m. And it would be really exceptional if I took a meeting after 5. And so, yeah, my calendar is booked way in advance, but it's not because I'm working 40 hours a day. You know, I'm doing the things I want to do at the cadence I want to do them. And I was talking to a colleague of mine in the space and I said, kind of ideal for me would be to have one big event because I'm a speaker and a trainer. I said, it would be like one big event a week. And she was doing three a day and was completely exhausted, totally burned out. And a lot of people don't recognize too that just because it's virtual as opposed to in person, you still have to bring that energy when you're the trainer. I mean, y'all know how it is. Who wants to be on a virtual call that sucks for two to four hours? Nobody. is. <laughs> so when you're the trainer, it's almost more energy to keep people engaged and be interesting and all these things virtually. So I find them just as draining, actually more so. So I'm like, why would I want to do that? I can just have one thing I'm going for a week. And she was blown away. She's like, you can't do that. Why not? And, you know, Ben, like we said, have that flexibility that, okay, let's say you and I have a call. Well, can I take it from the road? Can I take it from the grocery store parking lot? Or do I have to be in front of a big screen with a microphone set up? So I try to minimize the number of things where I have to be at my screen. Now, I realize too, everyone's got kind of different jobs and that might not work for everybody. But that's what balance looks like for me is that 
I'm not an eight to five linear kind of worker. I am a very sort of little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. And if I want to go out to lunch, if I want to go to the grocery store, if I need to return some Amazon stuff, I can do all that during my day. And so I feel really good about that. So I love the asynchronous thing that we've got going. I hope that continues in the world. And I hope that companies understand that gift and are explicit about it with people. I think those are the ones that are going to be successful. Yeah, we've seen a lot of debate about that. And we've seen back and forth and companies trying to figure out what works. Is it three days in the office, four days in the office, two days virtual, whatever it might be on that? Do you have any insights on or hopes of where you see work culture moving forward in the next one, five, 10 years? Because it's changed so much in the past two to three years, right? Totally, totally. So I think we have to be honest, as I've known several of these brand name major companies who when the pandemic happened and everyone went virtual, they were like, go be virtual, go do that. And now that some of those y'all know are the same companies trying to say, eh, (laughs) we actually want you back in. Well, people have set up their lives around that. So jerking people around, it's not okay. Now, if you want to have a business that's in the office all the time, you can make that decision if it's your company. I mean, that is a decision you can make. I just think you have to be really aware that you are decreasing your talent pool and you are going to be decreasing the number of candidates that you are attractive to. So again, some people might say, well, yeah, that's what we want. I'm like, great, just be honest with yourself and don't jerk people around. And I don't think we have cracked the nut on, okay, is it two days in the office? Is it three? Do we hot seat? Do we do all these things? I think really it's about what do we have to do and do we have the right talent to do it? And can I judge people based on their outcomes and have good communication along the way rather than your butt has to be in your seat? And I still think there's a lot of that mentality in decision-making roles at organizations, which I really hope that starts to roll off as we have younger generations moving into positions of power. Yeah, because no one's proven it yet with data. Not that I even need to see hard data, but you hear this, it's ongoing. And it's like we've been saying, it's a flip flop. Like one day it's a remote is the best and everyone put on your VR headsets and show up in your virtual world. And then on the other one, it's like, actually, we're laying off 15,000 people because we found people are most productive when they're sitting strapped to their desks every day. And there's one specific company that I'm kind of calling out here. But yeah, and it's hard. I mean, especially when people have grown accustomed to living this way and have had families and have young kids at home, whatever the situation might be at home or have moved in to take care of a loved one. And then all of a sudden you're saying so many things, you're the best candidate for this job, but you can only do this job if you're going to come and sit in the office five days a week from nine to six, which is impossible. I mean, Ben, I'll tell you, this actually happened to me. I was working in a company and I got married. So married my husband and he came with two little kids. And my husband, he was in sales at the time, fully remote. His territory was in a different state. He traveled all the time. So suddenly I became like instant, you know, parental uh, figure to these little girls. And I was in a, an executive position, by the way. I went to the CEO and said, I've got to do something differently here because now I have to pick up and drop off these kids. And I was told no. I mean, just like straight up no. And I was like, well, what do you mean no? Because I I wasn't asking to work less. I was just asking to adjust my hours so I could do this. And they said, absolutely not. And then I said, well, what if I took a pay decrease? Would that make it more palatable for you? And the response I got was, what kind of message does this send to the rest of the organization if we let you do this? And I'm like, pick up children? 
<laughs> what kind of message does yeah, that send? Exactly. That I'm picking up to. I mean, they sort of frown on leaving little kids on the side of the road these days. Right. And <laughs> I left due in no small part to the company couldn't wrap their arms around that I had children to pick up. It just boggles my mind that I'm like, you're letting good talent walk out the door because of picking up kids, which by the way, everybody has something. If you don't have children, you might have a pet, you might have a parent, you might have a roommate, you might have a any number of situations that we have to be okay with you having a life and dealing with that, right? So I think it's the foolish companies who put in these arbitrary boundaries and say no. Because I'm like, great, then you, you've decreased your candidate pool of excellent talent by 90%. Good luck finding somebody. I hope you do. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, gone are the days of like saying whatever you want to call work-life balance, but saying that you have to shut off your entire life for this eight-hour stretch or however many hour-long right. stretch that you're supposed to be and working. Thank goodness. I don't want to go back to that. And I like to tell people, I don't call it work-life. It's just life. Yeah. It's life. You do work as a part of your life. And by the way, you do a bunch of other things too. Yeah. And companies that are going to succeed recognize that. I have young kids that every other week have been sick yeah. as everyone did this, this cold season has been the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're going to school. And yeah. I was saying to That's Lauren, it. my wife, the other day, if I had to go into an office every day, there's no way that I would have ever exactly. been able to do this. There's absolutely no way. I've had that conversation too. And I think especially, what if you worked in a factory? Or what if you had less agency and you really did feel like, I'm stuck? I mean, look at what that does to us in our society. Like, right. Let's support people and be like, again, talk about outcomes instead. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Hyann. This has been really great, and I hope we can collaborate on more content opportunities in the future. Absolutely. Please tell us where people can find you if they'd like to learn more about you and what you do. Well, please reach out. Thank you for saying that. My best way to find me is connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where I put the vast majority of my content. And luckily, having a name like Tyann Osborne, um, <laughs> I get the URLs for everything. So you can just find me on that. I relate to that too. <laughs> See, you've got that unusual spelling too. So LinkedIn is the best. You can come to my website, tyannosborne.com, and that will also get you there. Amazing. Well, I'm sure after listening to this great episode, you'll you'll have a bunch of people looking you up. So I thank. hope so. Come, <laughs> come and be part of community with me. I would love that. Definitely. Well, thank you so much again. This was so great. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Veronica. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Work Everywhere is presented by Allware, the work enablement solution that provides everything you need to work from anywhere. Companies from startups to enterprises save on time and cost by trusting Allware with employee provisioning, procurement, logistics, and asset management. Learn more at allware.co.